Hey, one quick thing before we get started. I just want to remind you that this podcast is for information, education, and entertainment. It is not a substitute for therapy or therapeutic intervention. If you find yourself in crisis, please visit your local emergency room or contact a crisis hotline. Hey everyone, it's LaShonda from Labors of Love, and you're listening to the Labors of Love podcast. So today, um, I want to highlight that this episode is marked explicit, and that there will be content in this episode uh, that may be disturbing for some. Uh, so language, violence, uh So yeah, I wanted to give that caveat uh, before really jumping in, but today it's just me, not just, I'm not just, there's nothing just about me, it's me. And today I want to talk about how people out here still call them black people niggers, hard R. So if you follow the podcast and you also listen to my Therapy Thursdays, you'll know that. Uh, my last therapy Thursday was me out on a boat. Uh, that's where I recorded it. And I was talking about how the water is my place. Uh, it is my place of recharge and discharge. It's my place of calm. I am convinced that I was born a mermaid and somebody sold my tail or traded my tail for wisdom and speaking ability. So I am drawn to the water and I have a friend who has a boat and allows me access to that boat anytime I want to and how I'll go out on the lake and cruise and just really it's, it's everything. It's, it's, it's relaxing, recharging. It's spiritual for me. Um, And in the therapy Thursday, I was also talking about being able to let our friends know what our needs, desires, and expectations in life are and being open for people doing the same. So uh, last week, so for transparency, the therapy Thursday that came out last week was recorded the week before, but we dropped it last Thursday. But actually on Thursday, the very day that that therapy Thursday came out, I went back to the lake. This time I was with my friend. And for reference, my friend is white. She navigates this world in a white femme body. Um, And her soon-to-be son-in-law is black. He navigates the world in a black masculine body. And I'm me. So the three of us were out on the lake. This is not the first time that we've been out on this lake together. Um, And so we're just kind of cruising around. As a matter of fact, we were talking about um, engagement stories. I was sharing my engagement story and how Jay says that I ruined the perfect proposal. And we're talking about that. And uh, because, in fact, he was preparing to propose to my friend's daughter the next day. And as I was kind of sharing my story, 
we get to the edge of the lake, which there's like a little kind of bridge, if you will, or uh, where, no, where it ends, where the dam is. And there's a road and there was a gray Jeep Cherokee that drove by and we heard something come out of the window. Now, here's the thing. I will talk to you about how my brain processed this. And after talking with my two friends, theirs did the same. I heard the noise come out. Like I, 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 I heard someone yell something. And my brain was going through the way I envision it. It's almost like... Um, a computer process. So I watch a lot of shows. So think like if you've ever seen the show Leverage or any show where like if you have a computer program that is looking to identify a face. So it like scans all these faces looking for the different attributes to say, hey, here's this person. That's what I envision my brain doing. It took the information that came in, but there was so much dissonance happening in my mind that my brain was trying to process what it just heard because what it knew it heard was somebody yelled niggers with the hard R outside of their window. (laughs) But I think my brain had a difficult time processing that immediately. And I think that difficulty, because it was like, no, we ain't still doing that shit like that. No, right? Now, here's the thing. I know it happens, but there is still the part of me that's like, no, no, right? No, like people ain't still out here doing that, right? Not here, not in 2022, not not up north, (laughs) right? Not, Not on my lake. So like we all heard the noise and I, you know, when we are in this process of our brain trying to make sense of incoming data, time is kind of skewed. I would estimate that it probably was only three or four seconds, but it felt more like 10 or 15 where we all stopped. I stopped talking. We were all really quiet. And then we like looked at each other and we equally all had this like puzzled, mouth slightly open, head cocked to the side, look like, and it was the look that we all gave each other that confirmed what had just happened. So as soon as we each looked at each other, primarily my friend and I, my black bodied friend and I, it was like, and we instantly was like, oh, so I make that up. Oh, so that, that actually happened. Oh, okay. And then what followed was about an hour of us just like processing. Now, my friend and I are both therapists. We um, both understand the importance of somatics. So I didn't have to sit in this therapeutic space, my friend was able to, she was significantly impacted as well. So she began to immediately draw us out of this space of being like, what, what are you feeling in your body? Like, what do you need to do? What do you need to say? What, what noises do you need to, what, what do you need? You know? And so, you know, we, we began this just like, it was shocking. Right. But then we began to 
come back to the space of we're not shocked at all. And as we began to just what happened, just this natural outflow, or we began to just like name the things, name the things. And in that space, I realized that part of how I have navigated this world up until now is there is a significant amount of bypassing you know, just kind of something happens and keep it going. There is a fair amount of suppression, ignoring that has to happen to navigate this world. It, it, it really does. So as we let that filter down and we just started to talk openly and honestly about the experiences to, that we've had, I am amazed at how many, and I, at this point, y'all, I'm not even talking about microaggressions. I'm talking about overt racist things that happen on a regular basis. So as I record this episode today, I, I want it I'm, 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 I'm verbally processing this as, as I'm going. <laughs> I want to be clear about my intention, right? Um, so I realized that like, why, why am I sharing? I, I think I'm sharing for a few reasons. I'm sharing one because my story is real and it deserves to be heard. Two, there is a large part of me that's like, nah, I need y'all white people to know, right? Because Black bodies, bodies of culture, marginalized communities, those in the LGBTQ community, there's going to be no shock, no shock whatsoever in anything that I'm about to say. There may be resonance and pain and sadness and anger, but there is not going to be shock. But I truly believe that white people, a lot of them, are going to be shocked at some of the things that I say. So this is more so just like, yeah, let me just tell you some of the shit I go through on a regular basis. And this is not to even suggest that I am, this is not worse than, as a matter of fact, I would say that by comparison to so many other black body people I know, this is, this is, this is relatively my, not minute, but this is, this happens less frequently. That was the first time that to my, to me, I've been called the N-word in my life. I've been proximate to a lot of things and maybe probably likely people have said it behind my back or where I couldn't hear them. But that was the first time I made it 40 years of my life without hearing someone call me that. There are so many black people who cannot say the same thing. Um, this is not for shock value. This is for this is what it's like every day I wake up and leave my house. Like, so I want to share that because I think there are plenty of people who are sharing similar stories. And I think that for many reasons, uh, people either think that they are exaggerating or they misunderstood. You know, my friend and I, we sat on that boat and we talked about how, and and so the friend who's, who's the boat it is, she was just saying, like, you didn't make it up. I was here. Like, I witnessed it. And she was so validating. But we also talked about how without the white witness, people would chalk it up. 
as like, oh, we made it up. And then how I even added validity to his experience. He's a young black man. And how if he would have told the story, then how in in these this is not the first time that he's been called that he's had many more overt and microaggressions happen to him. But how people are always coming back at him trying to assess whether or not he could have done something differently or this, this and this. But how the white witness all of a sudden adds validity. Oh, my God, this white woman was there and she saw it and it happened. We talked about all that. So I think I'm just on here to be real. Why? Because I can. Two, because you need to hear it. Um. There, there's a James Baldwin quote. The quote says, to be a Negro in this country and to be relatively conscious is to be in a rage almost all the time. I read that years ago and I, I wasn't trying to discount Mr. Baldwin's experience. I just didn't relate to that experience. Um, I didn't. I was like, I'm not in rage all the time. Well, what I realized is I wasn't relatively conscious. <laughs> Right. I was in the survival mechanisms that allowed me to bypass, suppress, ignore and do all of the things. Right. But now I'm not doing that. And when I tell you that I am in constant tension and battle with rage all the fucking time, all the time. And the thing is, people don't experience me externally that way. People experience me as warm, soft, gentle, kind, compassionate, curious. That, that's how people experience me. So what I need people to understand is that I put in so much work So much of my energy is drained second for second to still show up in the world that way. Now, to be clear, that is, I believe, how I was created to be human with other humans. But to be that, please know that it takes so much effort because of the injustices and the atrocities that happen and that are perpetuated against me personally, against those who look like me, against my children, against my ancestors. Um, And then there are those, I'll specifically talk about Black women, because, you know, there is this narrative, this trope and stereotype of the angry Black woman, which is in diametric opposition to the mammy. That that was created largely by black women to say, no, we're not going for that anymore. But how that narrative gets painted as a deficit for us instead of recognizing why we have and need the capacity to be angry and enraged. So when I talk of when I am when we talk about boundaries, you know, I have frequently heard that anger is a response to a boundary violation or some form of injustice. So when our anger gets activated, it is a signal. It is communication that a boundary has been violated or that we um, that there is some kind of injustice that's taking place. And when I think about that and this just hit me this weekend, I'm like, yes. This is why Black women are perceived as angry because we are constantly, 
constantly, constantly having injustices towards our body, our personhood, everything about us. And so, yeah, so there's that. I feel like I've lost my train of thought, but this is just stream of consciousness anyway. So, yeah, I, I, I guess I'll continue by talking about cowardice. It's the cowardice of someone in a truck to drive by and yell it out their window instead of pull up. Like that was, so I'm trying to recall like the first thing. So first there was just this dissonance of like, nope, that didn't happen. The very first experience that I am consciously aware of after coming to the recognition that is in fact what I heard is my immediate safety was violated. I go out on the boat often by myself. It is so peaceful um, and I love it. And in an instant, I, I recognize that I didn't feel safe going out on the boat alone anymore. See, the thing about the violent use of that word of, of nigger or niggers, because they didn't say N word. So I'm not going to say N word. The, the violent use of that word as a verbal assault, I am convinced that a person who uses that word aggressively as a violent assault is willing to follow it up with physical violence. That's just how I feel deep within me. So when that happened, I instantly flashed to how unsafe I would feel on a boat alone, if someone who was willing to use the verbal assault were not to do something to physically harm me. Now, it's, it, is, it reeks and it is clothed in cowardice. So what I don't necessarily think that would happen is they would pull over and they would square up against me. No, but I do think that they would throw something at me, shoot something at me. Because I am wholly convinced that the use of that verbal assault would fo- will be followed by physical assault. And I, it, it, my safety was thwarted. And that was devastating to me because I'm landlocked in Ohio. I don't have drivable access to a large body of water, like an ocean or the sea in which I can be proximate to the element that nourishes me. And so having access to a lake that close to me with free reign to go out and be in relationship with this water and that being taken away from me, devastating. The other thing is I, so I had a moment where, and this is something that came up in my husband and I's therapy. And I, I saw it manifest at this time. So the thing that came up in our therapy is that because, well, let me also say that a lot of our therapy is intentionally examining how race and how we've been racialized impacts our marriage, how we show up as individuals, but how we also show up in our marriage. And what I 
concluded this past session is that there is something in me that feels very intergenerational, even ancestral, that is protect the Black man. Protect the Black man. So if you can recall whenever I did this podcast, it would have been in the winter, I think, of last year. And um, I hit this chick's car who was illegally parked. And, um, you know, law enforcement was involved. The major part of this story is that when law enforcement had arrived and they needed my husband's ID because he was present during the accident, the officer went to approach my husband to get his ID. And I physically put my body between the two of them and said, I'll get it. Now, I'll reiterate that this officer understood all those cues, said, you're right, and backed up. He retreated. He allowed me to get my husband's ID and bring it to him. But I physically put my body between the two of them. And what I realized is even if it's not physically, that I am in this constant state of doing that. Um, it happens, you know, with the black men in my life, son, husband, but um, it also happened when we were on the boat because as we were preparing to go on the boat, the young man asked, you know, is this going to like, can I come essentially? Are y'all going to be talking professional? You know, should I hang back? And I'm like, nah, we're good. Yeah, come on out. And as as my full experience began to evolve on the boat after the assault, I began to feel this heavy weight of responsibility and I began to cry and I began to say, I should have told you not to come. I wish I had told you not to come. There was this part of me that said, had I said, no, we're going to be talking, we're going to be doing consulting or it's going to be personal or professional, really, then he wouldn't have come. Then he wouldn't have been there. And I just want to note that because I know this is not just a Shonda thing. I know that there are other Black women who 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 autonomically mobilize to put themselves between danger and the Black man. And even um, my husband who takes our kids to day camp, you know, he was telling me how on one occasion he was taking them. It's about a 13 minute drive to day camp. In 10 of those 13 minutes, he was being followed by law enforcement. And he was able to describe like how his body felt and his hyper awareness and like how he was like making because it's like a healy drive and you go downhill and how he had to be he rode his brake the whole time, like not going a single mile over the speed limit, like and all the things that were happening in his body because he's being followed by law enforcement for such a long time. So there was an occasion where we were together and we picked the kids up from daycare, a day camp, and we were coming home and he was, he was driving and he was being followed by the police again. And it is amazing that this thing that happened in me is I was like, oh, but we're okay now because I'm here. I, 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 that's not true, (laughs) but there was this thing in me that is almost like, not we're okay, but it's it's better. It's better now that I'm here. And and I think what that was was just this sense of I'll be able to put myself between you. And and in my mind, that literally 
looks like jumping in front of a bullet. Because as we navigate this world and we're followed by law enforcement, one of the very first, first things that happen is, will we be shot? Will we be harmed? That's, that's, that's not exaggeration on our part. That's not us being, um, yeah, no, that's, that's just real for the bodies we live in. So this notion that I have to propel myself in between danger and the black man is, is a thing. And I know it's not just a thing for me. Then that got me to thinking about protect black women and how there is, do I want to call it a movement, an awareness movement, whatever, where people are saying, look, we got to protect black women. So when Malcolm X was talking about the most disrespected, neglected, unprotected person in America is the black woman. You know, there have been a lot of people emphasizing the need to protect black women. And I began to think about this notion and, and everything and and how when I conceptualize in um, the black woman's role in interfering in the the harm of black men, my, my thought goes all the way back to time of enslavement, trying to protect your children and your husband from being sold off, right? All the way into the ways in which I stepped between my husband and law enforcement. But it did, it does sometimes create this tension between if I am to step in and protect him, it minimizes my need for protection. And, and do I, and even how I perceive needing protection or how I have to be strong and all of these different narratives, all of this is happening in my body, you know, at the same time, I began to think about how different that verbal assault felt than things like, um, on our way to day camp. There is a house that flies a flag that is half American flag, half Confederate flag. Like they bought that somewhere. It exists and it just flies and how we have to see that. And even when we intentionally don't look with our eyes at that flag that's flying, my nervous system is aware of this existence. How if I take a certain route to get certain places like to the lake, the direct route to this lake takes me past this house that has three large flagpoles in the yard and three flags each on them, right? And it's the American flag. It's the don't tread on me. It's fuck Biden. It's what is it? Let's go Brandon or whatever bullshit that is. So like, it's, it's all these things that even when I consciously don't look at it, my nervous system knows it's there but how different it felt to have someone verbally assault me. How old white women have been the source of so many microaggressions in my world and and how differently it felt with this full-on verbal assault. And so, you know, I think there are the stages of loss and grief that I went through, like there was denial at first, like, nah, that didn't happen. Nah, nah, right? You know, and then whatever, you know, then there is anger and then there's bargaining, all the things. 
And then there was acceptance. And I don't mean acceptance as in I'm okay with this being the way it is. But what I will say is that that incident for me was this thing that kind of rattled me to go, girl, no matter how idealistic you get, this is the world you live in. And I definitely recognize that I had been lulled a bit, that I had gotten back to this place where there is an awareness that these things happen, but they happen over there, that they weren't proximate to me, that they weren't in my neighborhood, that they weren't close. And it's just, it's just not true. Right. So all that happened. And then um, maybe it was the next day. So, okay. Well, before I even go there, guarded, protective. Um, I was in my coaching retreat this weekend, which was probably, I can't think of a better place for me to have been this weekend after this incident surrounded by my people learning, getting coaching, giving coaching and, and all of this. And, and through amazing coaching that I had this weekend, I began to notice the parts, the parts of me that got activated, the protectors that mobilized and the ways in which they were trying to keep me safe. And one of those things was determining, I ain't leaving my house. <laughs> like I'm going in there. I work from home most of the time anyway, like, mm-mm. but not just I'm going in my house. That's my safe space. I don't want to leave. But like, there was this, I wanted to just like fortify it, fortify my home electric fences around the property, like shutters closed, the whole thing, um, like ensuring safety. And so I also didn't want my kids outside the home. Like, let's just stay here. And at one point, um, some neighbors were gathering um, at um, at a neighbor's house and they were in the backyard swimming. And my, one of my, two of my kids asked me if they could go swim. And the internal tension that I felt around that, like, no, I, I wanted to just be like, no, 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 you cannot go anywhere. You have to stay in the house. But we're like, okay. So my daughter puts on a swimsuit and her little floaties. My son is going to accompany her. He's a good swimmer. I definitely wasn't going. My husband wasn't going. One of my other daughters wasn't going. Um, But they came back. The first time they came back and they said, well, we can't figure out how to get in. Like, what do you mean? Like, we can't figure out how to get in the backyard. And we were told, like, to, to, we couldn't stand on the grass. Now, for context, new sod had just been put down. This pool just opened. They just got their pool. Um. There was no direct invitation to us to attend. I'm cool with that. The neighborhood is such that when people are hanging out, you just kind of come join. But it was also kind of clear to me that some invitation had been made. This wasn't just a, oh, we're out. Uh, Because my office sits in the front of my house, I see what's going on. And the way one set of neighbors mobilized to go to this house with a whole bunch of stuff, let me know that there there was a plan probably some kind of like, hey, like the pool is open. Let's hang out. I'm actually fine with not having been directly invited because I wasn't going. But then my kids, so they couldn't figure out how to get in. So they went back and tried again. 
And they were again told not to stand on the grass. And when I tell you proverbially, that was the straw. It wasn't the straw that led me into rage and anger. No, it bypassed that. And it 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 moves me into this other space because there are a few things. One, if you obviously see kids trying to get in and you're not actively helping them do that, then you don't want them there. So that's what I said to my kids. It is evident that they don't want you there. And I never, ever want you to go into a space where you're not wanted. Little girl's heart was broken. She just wanted to swim. My son, I think he's starting to get it. Now, let me pause here and say, I have to be careful with my messaging as a parent. How I'm going to have to go back and amend what I said to my children in a very intentional way. Because you know what? If Black people didn't go where they weren't invited, we wouldn't be anywhere but still stuck on somebody's plantation. I don't want my children to believe that if they're not invited, that they sometimes you got to kick in doors, right? And there are times when, fuck the invitation, you have a right to be here. Now, this is not the particular case, right? But that's what mobilized in me. And that's when I'm like, shut it down. And for the first time, I thought about moving. But move where? <laughs> right? It was fleeting. I love my home. We built it from the ground up. My house itself, I'm surrounded by people who don't look like me. I got to get out of here. So there were all these things. Now, the next morning, I get a text from the neighbor, not the, the partner that told my kids to stop getting on the grass, but the other partner. And it was a text pretty much saying, um, that, you know, they weren't going to allow children to swim in the pool unless their parent was present because, you know, they don't know everyone's swimming abilities and they didn't want anyone to feel excluded. But I'm convinced that they recognize they excluded my children, which is why I got that text. I have literally no problem. I understand the liability. We, we ain't having no pool. I, I don't want that kind of liability, right? I understand you know, not, you know, that parents need to be present, right? But that should have been communicated to my kids. Someone should have said, hey, um, your mom and dad are going to have to come with you or something. But that's not what happened. No, you they did exclude my children. Bet. That's when that thing rises up in me and I say, bet. Got it. This conversation, I don't need to have this conversation. You know what? Bet. Got it message received. And so in addition to navigating the world in my fat black woman's body and all its complexities, I'm a mom. And what mobilizes in me to protect my children feels ancestral and otherworldly. Like I actually have some fear around what I might do to someone who hurts my children. And so I began to just sit in and I I had enough presence of mind to recognize the activation from the boating experience, how that how all those parts were mobilized and activated, how that was impacting, how I was receiving incoming data. Yeah, no no no, I got all that. And so then it's like, how do you equip your kids? How do I not 
stifle who they are, their personalities, their their innocence and willingness to to be who they are and to see people as people and the whole thing and protect them from the world that actually is that seeks to harm them in the complicity, the complacent, complicit, complicity, you know, how people are complicit in carrying that out by their ignorance and not recognizing it. So there was just so much. I ended up painting um, based on this incident. It is, um, for me, it feels like a hauntingly beautiful painting of eyes crying into water with a gray sky. Um, and it's like, what do I do with all of this? How do I nurture? So I made a Facebook post. I'm, I'm still off of personal socials for the most part. Um, and I, I don't see myself going back ever in the capacity in which I used to be on social media, but I posted about the boating incident and my motives to myself were very clear. Like there was a part of me that wanted to direct it directly to all of my neighbors, but instead I directed it to all white body people on my timeline. Like I need, what do I need? You need to know, you will never experience this in the way that I experience, but you need to know there's an experience happening. Stepping outside of my, literally outside of my front door, knowing that my identity will not be reflected towards me as I walk the perimeter of my house every day, particularly when I work, fortifying energetic boundaries around my home because of the ugliness that I get to see in the world. I need people to know that's a thing. I don't even know that I'm asking for, I don't, I'm not asking for anything really. I don't think, I just need people to know. I I need there to be some kind of awareness and realization that, that, I don't know, like when a black unarmed person is murdered or when someone goes into a grocery store, and shoots up black people that as my neighbor, your silence hurts. When I send to the group text, happy Juneteenth and don't nobody say it back, that shit hurts. We are not colorless. We are not colorblind. We are not an exception to the rule. I need my neighbors to know that they have a black family as neighbors and navigating this world is different than they navigate it. And I need it. Do I need it? I don't know. Acknowledgement around that would be nice. Right. Um, My withdrawal in the community is because I realize that the only way I'm really functioning within the community here is to not talk about whitewash and minimize my experience as a black person. I'm not doing that shit. So I stay in the house. But my kids, they like to go outside. So we open the windows every time they're outside. I'm not particularly concerned about their physical safety. I'm listening for their social emotional safety. Is somebody saying something? Are they being treated unjustly? Why? Because that's a thing. That's a real, real thing. So part of my messaging with this podcast 
it's just um it's just to say this shit is real. I had a number of people reach out to me um after posting that. And these are people who um these are good friends. These are people who are reaching out and saying there are no words that I can say. I'm sorry seems too shallow. This world is fucked up. I love you. I had one person reach out to me and say, I um I read your post. I have benefited from your podcast, from your presence, from your work. Can I send you a Venmo? Just to say, like, I'm benefiting from your work. As I am still in the process of intentionally raising my rates and considering what I need to have a sustainable lifestyle, but also be accessible, I need people to understand that embedded in my rate raising is the fact that there are so many things that I have to do and pay for in order to be the person people benefit from. How I have to get an emergency therapy session on the books today and pay for that because of the atrocities. And and all I did on that lake, all I did on that lake was exist. That's it. We existed that the number of ways I have to show up for myself and show up for my family so that people can benefit from my wisdom and my knowledge and my ability to take complex concepts and make it simple, my humor, my transparency, that people get to receive that, the cost, the cost is higher than so many people will ever, ever, ever realize. The other thing about the incident that was stark to me is how I was able to say, like, I didn't want to tell my husband. I mean, I wanted to tell him he's my best friend. But there was, and and I was able to name it, I feel shame. And it reminded me of... Assault victims, whether it's physical assault, sexual assault, verbal assault, there is, because inherent in assault, I need people to understand this, inherent in assault, there is a transference of shame. The shame does not belong to the person that the violence was enacted against. It belongs to the person who enacted the violence, but the violence itself is a transference of the shame. Which is why those of us who have been assaulted in many ways, and now I can add verbal assault to the list of physical and sexual assault that I've experienced, I always feel shame. And how I have to do the work to untangle that, to remind myself, the shame is not yours. So I didn't want to tell my husband because I felt shame and I knew he would never, ever shame me, that he would support me, but I felt it. I hesitated to post it on Facebook because of shame. I hesitated to do this podcast because of shame. That shit is not mine. So clearly, and I will be here to say, I am unburdening myself of that shame, but it's not like it happens one time and it's done. I did it on the boat. I've done it every day since, but it is amazing how shame has this very sticky tacky Uh, texture to it for me. So it comes back. It's like hard to get off and then it sticks. And so daily I am unburdening myself and unattaching myself from the shame that got transferred to me because of those who enacted the violence. (laughs) 
my children, and I'm not saying this last part was violence per se, but my children came back in the house feeling shame for not knowing how to get into the backyard. There were all these people back there, but they didn't know how to get in and they felt shame. That's not your shame. It's not yours. If you were wanted there, someone would have helped you. You don't have to feel shame about that. And so there are so many complexities. Another thing and another reason I'm sharing is because at some point, if you're listening to this, there is some amount of trust that you have for me, my word, my integrity. I might be many things, but I'm not a liar. You trust the truth that's coming out of my mouth. And so I need to reiterate, I'm not the exception. I'm not the exception. You can't rationalize a way that this is happening to so many people across the board. And you never had to yell that word out your window to be perpetuating violence against people in marginalized communities, Black people, Black children. We got to be mindful. You have to be mindful of how you're engaging, knowing, knowing that there is a likelihood of hypersensitivity that already exists when you're dealing with people in marginalized communities, because this is our existence. To move and navigate around the world, there are ways we have to inoculate ourselves against what is coming, not what might come, what is ever present and still coming. I'm not asking for sympathy. We are resilient. We are badass. We are survivors in all that way. And everyone doesn't experience it the way that I do. I am not painting a picture of victimhood. But what I am saying is that when you get to blissfully navigate the world, hold parties in your back, do all the things, be aware that there are complexities that exist for people in your world that you are likely overlooking, forgetting, for me, and I will only speak for me. I, I let. What am I saying? Let's be real. Let's have real conversations. Not in that teach me, you know, teach me your experience. Just be human with me in a way that allows all humanity. I think that's what I'm asking. Um, so yeah, I feel like this could go on and on for a really long time because there are just so many things, but I, I recognize the reality that set in for me on the boat, the reality of where I live, where my children play, where they have access to and where they don't. And that's okay. We got property. We can go swim at. We got a, a, a community uh, center path. It's not about that, but just know that these things don't just go away. I don't, I don't let them up lightly. (sighs) Yeah. So that is that people in 2022 are still rolling by hurling verbal assaults out of their windows like cowards and it impacts. It absolutely impacts. Um, Yeah. So I think that's all. I I think I've come to the end (laughs) of what I will say for now, but I welcome engagement. I've said this before, but I mean it. Um, Holla at me. You can reach me on my website, www.thelaborsoflove.com. You can contact me. Um, 
Lashonda at the Labors of Love if you want to send an email. Hell, Labors of Love is my Venmo. If you want to contribute to the work that I have to do, financially contribute to the work that I have to do to continue to be this amazing resource for you every twice a week, <laughs> twice a week, the cost is high. Yeah, I don't even think I'm going to do my normal spiel this time, y'all. Until we connect again, be well.